Ladies and gentlemen, kicking off the first stop on his world tour, our new president and prophet, Russell M. Nelson! You say you want some revelation, well here you go. It's gonna blow your freaking mind. Greetings, brothers and sisters. Welcome to the weekly Mormon News Roundup, where D-Days and Landon and Rebecca will ruminate on the great and spacious beehive. This is episode 62, and it's June 4th, 2023. Uh, the church is updating the policy on being politically neutral. We've got the Mormonist co-hosts who are on tap, and we have an analysis of LDS church growth. President Henry Eyring is turning 90 years old, and the church opens a gay pride month with a controversial editorial. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm at mormonnewsroundup.org, or you can send me an email to colob at mormonnewsroundup.org. I'd like to invite our guest hosts on here, Len and Rebecca. How's it going, guys? Woo, we're awesome. Hey, great. Now, you guys run a very popular channel here. It's called the Mormonish uh, Podcasting. What's, what's that all about? <laughs> Mormonish is a channel devoted to living a joyful life on the other side of Mormonism. So we interview lots of interesting people, we cover current events, we do deep dives into church historical issues because Landon is an incredible uh, researcher and historian, and we just have a lot of fun. Yeah, so uh, you guys are up in Salt Lake now, uh, what, 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 what are you guys doing or what are you guys up to in Salt Lake right now? Yes, I am at, I would call the Mormonish Studio North, which is Landon's house, right? <laughs> <laughs> which means I, I took over his studio and Landon is in a different room. I am up here for Women's Thrive, the Women's Thrive Conference. It's been really wonderful. Lots of awesome speakers like Natasha Helper and Anthony Miller having a great time. And then um, for the rest of the weekend, we're also attending the Pride Parade in downtown Salt Lake on Sunday. So it's, it's a really exciting weekend. Lots of fun stuff going on. Yeah, it sounds tremendous, and uh, that does bring us to our Mormon joke of the week. And uh, Landon, I believe that you've got that for us. I've got yes, I've got one of them. Uh, so uh, we'll start out here. Why did the man? Uh, why did the man convert to Mormonism? I don't know. I'm not sure. Why? Because he wanted to have his Kate and Edith too. Ah, uh, <laughs> very good, nice, very nice. <laughs> and I have a joke too because good. I thought maybe it was a two for one. Since sure. This on the Mormonish podcast. Can't have so too many jokes. You can't have too many jokes, <laughs> and especially when we're getting to all the hard-hitting topics, we need a little levity to begin, right? So I have a missionary joke because I do have a missionary out. Uh, what is a Mormon missionary's favorite type of car? A convertible. Very good stuff. Very nice stuff. Okay. Uh, well, we really appreciate you coming on. we got a big, big episode this week with uh, lots of topics and uh, we're just going to kick it right off here. The church this year, uh, this uh, week released uh, on the uh, 29th of May, 2023, some, a uh, couple of charts here showing church ongoing growth through 192 years. And uh, this got a three part chart here. And the first chart here shows, uh, shows church growth. And as we found out in the last journal conference, the church has uh, now uh, achieved that pl plateau, I guess, of uh, or say a milestone of 17 million members. How do you feel about this first chart here, Landon? Uh, you know, I was looking at the chart and uh, 17 million seems uh, like a, an enormous number. Uh, I looked at some of their other charts and, I, you know, I guess that's people who've been baptized some point in their life. Uh, it's not necessarily how many are actually active and in the church at, at, at any given time. So. Uh, yeah, when we get to, I, I actually looked through some of the other numbers and it, it caught me that I don't think it's active members is anywhere near that, but it's certainly a big achievement. Yeah, definitely not active members. And, uh, uh, you know, this uh, chart also has uh, the uh, total number of temples here, which were at dedicated temples at 175. I thought this was a very interesting chart because if you look, for instance, at 1997, there was 51 temples in 1997. That's when Gordon B. Hinckley took over. In only a three-year time span, he doubled that to 102 
using that uh, President Hinckley small temple uh, feel and the temples they have really increased. And of course, with announced uh, temples, you know, we're up over uh, 300 now. Uh, what are your thoughts on these uh, temples and the population here, uh, Rebecca? You know, I feel like it's the amazing temple race. Right. I mean, when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s, you took a temple trip like I had to go to Idaho Falls. We had to get in the back of a station wagon. There were not a temple on every doorstep. Right. And now the amazing temple race. We've got Hinkley. Then suddenly we've got Nelson in the lead. Then we you know, and now there's there's one everywhere. And with the announcement of the new modular style to build them, I feel like they can just put like a pop up tent, a pop up boutique, a pop up temple, any corner. There's going to be one. So it's where yeah, they put their money. Yeah, without question. And, uh, you know, it also talks about the uh, wards and uh, branches that uh, we're up over 31,000 in the wards and stakes. We're at 3,500. And you can see the growth rate here. The, the church uh, charts that they bring out here, they all have an upward trajectory. They all have a very faith promoting, uh, you know, it's a very faith promoting spin on it all. If you go back to the statistical reports in the 60s and 70s, you know, there's a great deal more inf uh, information that we used to get. We used to get districts, missions, wards, stakes, Sovereign countries where the churches, church membership uh, totals, increase in child of record, converts baptized, priesthood ordinations, total number of 70s, elders, priests, high, high priests, genealogical data, total number of ordinances, temples in operation, the church school system, people in, um, you know, the amount of things, the welfare system, the amount of uh, information that we used to get is far, far greater than what we get now. How come we're not getting that to those levels of information now, do you suppose, Landon? Well, it is the age of disinformation. Uh, I think that uh, I think that there's some numbers that they want to hide that they don't necessarily want members to know, and so they've taken those out. In fact, I, I looked at those different numbers that you, that between the 1985 and the 2022, and there were several numbers on there that uh, that, that seemed a little odd. Uh, in 1985, on that uh, one that you showed uh, for the 1985 version, the membership was 5.9 million with 29,000 missionaries. They had 70,000 children of record and 197,000 convert baptisms in 1985 with just 6 million members. Now in 2022 with 17 million members uh, and 62,000 missionaries, so almost more than double the missionaries, uh, children of records only 89,000 compared to 70,000 and 212,000 convert baptisms compared to 197,000, which is only a 7% increase. So the membership almost, the membership went up 188%. The children of record, though, baptisms only went up 27% and the convert baptisms only went up 7% in that time. You would expect that if the membership, you know, almost tripled, that you would see a far larger number of children of record and convert baptisms and you're not seeing that. So that starts to make you wonder, is the 17, how accurate is that 17 million here? Yeah. And Rebecca, you know, they, they, you know, you could blame some of this on COVID, the fact that numbers were depressed in all religions and everything. But we never really recovered even after COVID, did we? No, I don't think so at all. I personally know many people that found that a very uh, convenient time just to sort of glide away. But I sort of feel like when you show that statistic report, I think about our accounting friend who works with the widow's might. And he said when he was a kid watching conference, he loved that section, you know, because he had that mathematical brain and he would watch that. And it was so fascinating for him. And he'd crunch numbers and take notes. And that doesn't exist anymore. You have to actually go out. Like I said, he's with the widow's might now. Nothing is transparent. They go out and, you know, just find what they can find to try to delve into it. So it's not transparent anymore. They'll give you the facts that make them appear in a positive light, but anything else you're going to have to dig. But people do. That's the good news. People do like the widow's might. No, they have those numbers. It's not like they're not doing those numbers anymore. Right. In fact, with the temple recommends scanning, they know exactly how many times you personally went, yep. let alone how many total members did it. So they've got the information, but for some reason they're not, they're not releasing it.
Yeah, we are definitely we're not getting the uh, information that we need, you know, and there used to be a high number of uh, line items in the church statistical reports back from the 70s. There used to be 40 different line items in the church statistical reports, and now that's been whittled down to only 10. So transparency is certainly going in the wrong direction. You know, the church used to report uh, baby blessings, which was last reported in 1988. Uh, the number of proxy ordinances last reported in 1984. The marriage rate, it used to be in there in 1983. The number of women in release society was reported all the way up until 1977. Now, that has been taken out of general conference. I believe in 2020, do you guys know when that was taken out the statistical report? I think it was 2020. That, that sounds about right. And then they put it on the, you can only get it on yeah, the internet. Put it up online. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so this is what we get now. If you go to the statistical report for this last general conference, this is what you get now. And it all fits on one screen. There's only 10 items here. Stakes, mission districts, wards, branches, total membership, uh, full-time missionaries, senior church missionaries, young service missionaries. There used to be 50 line items. Now it's boiled down to just 10. And on the church's article that we saw, there's only five graphs. We are getting less and less information about what is happening. And um, I, I just wish we could just get more information. Why not? Why not more? You know? <laughs> Why not? And it kind of forces us to go out, go online and try to find these things ourselves, which is actually probably exactly the opposite of what they would want us to do. But people are curious. They want to know. I see all the time on post-Mormon sites, hey, I, I took this number and I crunched it and I divided it. And I think there's really only this many members. People are curious. They want to know, you know, what their organization looks like. They are curious. So tell us, please. Absolutely. And, and in particular, in when it comes to Utah and church growth in particular, there's a couple of hard truths here. The uh, non-LDS population is growing faster than the LDS population in Utah. And 55% of Utahns consider themselves to be Latter-day Saints. And even though the church is claiming um, of a two-thirds, so there's a significant difference between, even in Utah, the people who they themselves affiliate as Latter-day Saints and the ones that the church claims as well. Um, we, we don't really even have accurate data in the, in the Beehive State, right? Well, it's probably those people who are, I think they don't remove you from the records until you're like 110 years old. So the difference is probably all those 110 year olds that are out there uh, that they're not counting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, without question. And uh, that's another thing about the church statistical report is that the amount of people who are removed from, who have their membership removed, which is what it's called now, the death rate is about, I don't know, 10, uh, one person per 10,000. And the, the death rate that we would expect to see people coming off of the roles of the church based off of a normal death rate, the church's death rate is only about half of what one would expect. So it's not just about keeping people on the rolls until they're 110 who don't be, they themselves affiliate. It's the fact that the church, if they don't remove people off of the rolls in any really, uh, in any really meaningful way. And this is in a big contrast to, if you think back to President Hinckley in the 90s, remember the church was supposed to be on track to become the, the biggest, uh, the biggest church in the entire United States or maybe even the world. And I found this old clip from uh, when uh, President Hinckley was on Larry King. I'm a big uh, President Hinckley fan. And I want to play this for you where, uh, uh, where Larry King asks him about the growth of the church back in the 90s because it really peaked during President Hinckley's tenure and that was the big heyday. And uh, yeah, he's very flattered in this interview to talk about how the church growth is going to be massive. Let me play this for you. In a major front page story on the, on the Mormons, Time Magazine quoted the sociologist Rodney Stark of the University of Washington. He said that in about 80, 82 years, Mormon membership worldwide will be 260 million. Wow. What is the attraction? I won't be around. Prophecies <laughs> <laughs> fulfilled. <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, guys, it was supposed to be uh, back back in the 90s. It was supposed to be uh, 260 million in short order, and um, we're not going to get there. What happened? The internet. <laughs> Is that the right answer? The internet. <laughs> I, 
I, I think it's related to the death rate when you said only half as many are dying in Mormon. I think the other half is being translated. So that accounts for why they're not uh, making it to the number. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this this was that book, by the way, The Rise of Mormonism, which was uh, Columbia University Press. Uh, and that's who we talked about, Reed, uh, Reed Nielsen and Rodney Stark. And based off the church's projections back in the 90s, it was supposed to become an incredible juggernaut. But it has obviously not gotten there. And uh, it, the, the, it's definitely flatlined. But, uh, you know, the thoughtful saint, um, he runs a very uh, popular or controversial YouTube channel. He um, talked about this and he tweeted out, don't worry, everybody. We still have the highest activity rates of any faith. Is that uh, is that accurate? I tried to look at that information. and I couldn't figure out how they came up with that. I, I read the report, but I never saw anywhere where it was saying how they came up with the activity rate or determined that. So. Well, what, uh, what I happen to know, first of all, Utah is the highest among the United States for people who uh, do attend church regularly. I believe it is 49%. So it's a very high level of activity. So for people who self-identify as Latter-day Saints, those have the highest activity rates among any religion, extremely high activity rates. So if you only ask Mormons who consider themselves to be Mormons, do you go to church? That is the highest activity rate. So if you ask the 6 million or so active Latter-day Saints right now, do you go to church? Almost all of them do. The problem is, is if you ask the 17 million Latter-day Saints, do you go to church? And then calculate activity rate off of that number, it's abysmal. So it's a little disingenuous. Yeah, it sounds like they wanted to have their Kate and Edith too. Uh-oh, he worked it in, he worked it back in. Well, I think of the example, like Landon um, is considered a member and I am considered a member. Um, but we're going to the Pride Parade on Sunday. We're not going to be at church. So, <laughs> you know, so there you go with activity. Yeah, we're going to talk more about the Gay, uh, gay Pride Parade uh, coming up because that does make the news this week as well. You know, uh, Clint Kimball runs a very popular, um, when it comes to charts and uh, church membership distribution and growth, when it comes to membership distribution, he is probably king here. Now, this data is just a little outdated. But if you look at the total members of the church, you'll see that it, uh, you know, it, pe uh, it peaks and then it really flatlines. It's not an exponential growth. It's really more of a, of a peaking sort of thing. And by the year 2050, there's actually going to be uh, more former members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints than there are active members. Those two inter are intersecting, and you'll see, um, you'll see uh, uh, what I think to be very interesting. And also the projections show that active membership, and this is from also the journal of, uh, it's from a different journal. I don't have it off the top of my head. It says that active membership of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints will peak will never go above 6 million active members in um, in the future or at any time. And that's what this data also shows. A any thoughts on the um, uh, you know membership here based off of this article? I think it's interesting that I, I never realized growing up how small the church was in the 70s and 80s. I mean, it was my entire world, but there were what, a million members? It was extremely small. And for some reason, it's so important to feel like you're growing and that trajectory is going up, but I like to think of it this way. If Mormonism were a disease, according to the CDC, it would be eradicated as far as the numbers go. <laughs> That's hard to hear, but those are the statistics. Well, I think I all I might say that it's going to peak at six million. I really think that that is going yeah. to be the plateau. I don't think it's, I don't it's, it's never going to go to zero. It's going to be right. uh, six million members, in, in my opinion, yep. you know, that, that, that's just that's that's my, my that's my take on it. Uh, you know, the other chart that's on here talks about uh, new missionaries and how new missionaries really peaked when President Monson brought uh, reduced the uh, missionary age uh, back was was that 2013 and how uh, missionaries, male missionaries, female missionaries. That's also on a downward trajectory every single year since 2010. We will see less missionaries. And as you mentioned, Landon, convert baptisms. The total number per year we used to get above uh, 300,000 per year in the 90s that number has significantly trailed off and will do so for the foreseeable future 
and finally, a couple last ones is LDS activity rate. It really peaked in around the 60s or the 80s. You had a 40% activity rate, but if you take all members in totality into consideration, your uh, activity rate is certainly in 25% and most likely will be going lower. Um, there's a lot of other charts on this. I'll just cut, finish these last two, and that's the names removed from the church. That's what we used to call excommunication. The names removed of the church is, uh, you know, somewhere around the 60,000 to 100,000 range every single year, and that is projected to rise, whereas the LDS birth rate is expected to drop and be quite low. So, Well, you're not even LDS with a birth rate like that. I mean, you got to have six kids or it's not true. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It doesn't count. Well, and they did just recently, and I'm sure you covered it last week, the uh, President Oaks Youth Fireside, where I think they were trying to pump that birth rate back up. Don't worry. Get married. Have kids. we got to get that birth rate going. Get it in gear. Yeah, so all of these graphs that we showed here, those all show unflattering um, aspects of uh, church attendance, church growth, and things like that. So the only charts that we see really, as we've seen General Conference get stripped away, the more unflattering information is removed. And now only the flattering or faith-promoting uh, graphs that are left, that is what we're left with. And um, it's really unfortunate because I'm a real numbers and a data geek, and I wish we could just get more. What I, what I really want to see, by the way, on those graphs of, uh, of the church is really, well, why not have a graph of Ensign Peaks performance? Now, there. <laughs> that's something to be excited about. Uh, <laughs> see, you don't want the graphs going up. So, right. Yeah, right. Ah, we put In perpetuity, it, it will always In go on. Perpetuity, that's right. There's a perpetual motion machine at this point. Yeah, I mean, so we had the stakes going up, population. Why can't we throw in just one slide of Ensign Peak growing going up, too? Why? Ah, that's just really what I want to see. Um, you know, I, I would also love to see a couple of other things. How about uh, the graph of uh, people and the, taking their membership off the rolls? I'd love to see that graph over time. Or the people with the membership restrictions. How's that uh, going? That's that's something I'd like to see. Or, um, you know, uh, how about a graph of how the missionary effort is going? And as you mentioned, uh, Landon, earlier, the percentage of convert baptism uh, rate is certainly falling. So that's if you take the church's population as a whole and you say what percent of uh, people are converting the church based off of church population back in the 90s about uh, the church was growing at a rate of four percent per year but that has continuously and persistently dropped to now the church is not gaining a uh, population in regards to the uh, world's global population the world's global population is growing at a rate of almost two percent but the church's growth rate is significantly less than that. The stone coming out of the mountain without hands, the problem is, is that the mountain below it is actually getting larger. The stone is still rolling, but there's more mountain every single year, and it's not going to get to the bottom. Yeah, it's all a perspective. And I feel anecdotally, I'm being connected to lots of different missionaries. I receive missionary letters and things. You know, you don't see families joining. Baptisms are, we baptized my friend, you know, one off kind of a thing. And that's not going to do it. It used to be a family of six. I have not in all the missionary letters, just anecdotally that I read, it's individuals that are that are joining if they join. There are no more families, not even couples. I see individuals. Uh, yeah. One of the numbers you showed there with the converts being almost the same as it was in 1985, uh, but twice as many missionaries, that means that the missionaries experience is being uh, somewhat filtered, you, you're seeing less baptisms, less converts, less people that you're teaching when you're out on your mission. So that may very well be one of the reasons that you're seeing the missionary numbers come down because they're going out there and not having success. And people are going, I, I'm not going to do that with my life because uh, they really don't need them. They've shown they can do the same number of baptisms with half as num half the missionaries. 
Yeah, you know, and the other thing about the missionary effort is that the stats have shown that while over 80% of the yearly converts take place outside of the United States, only 25% of those converts stay active in the church after the period of a year. So yes, missionaries are having much less success, probably about in a factor of three less success than the church in the heyday. And the people that they're bringing in, they are not sticking with the church. There's no retention in the missionary program. You know, the other graph uh, that I would love to see also is uh, the, how about that graph of uh, the church? How about a graph of tithing? How is the tithing receipts? You know, well, how, how, are, is it going up? Is it going down? Are more people paying tithing? Is less people paying tithing? The only thing that we can go on is the widow's might report. And there's certain countries in which tithing has to be disclosed uh, by the percentage of people paying tithing and also tithing total donations. And it looks like tithing in general is basically slightly decreasing. The percentage of people who pay tithing is slightly decreasing over time. However, the church total tithing donations is holding steady or even increasing. So yes, less percentage of people are paying tithing as more people fall away, but the money is still rolling in folks. I, I think that was that lined up with what you said about activity rate possibly being only 25%. That lines up almost perfectly with the full tithe payers uh, was 25% as well. So that gives us a good indication that those who are actively participating, active tithe payers, you're probably in that 25% range. Yeah, I would definitely, in my opinion, the number one indicator of uh, whether someone is active in the church is if they pay tithing. And I don't care how much it is. It can just be a small amount. It could be it could be just a few dollars. But if you give anything to the church, then I really consider you an active member, even if you only go to the church once a year. That's really, for me, the biggest activity factor in the church. Um, you know, there's a lot of anecdotal information that people are paying tithing less. But the publicly available data that we have shows that um, tithing receipts are holding strong. So um, I think that that is uh, definitely good news from the church. Is there, um, Rebecca, is there any last thoughts on the church's uh, article here, which is touting its, um, uh, you know, its, uh, I'm sorry, its, its population growth and the good things are going with the church. Is there any last thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think I look at other religions who absolutely self-report. I think the Seventh-day Adventists are very upfront. They're like, we have this many members. I mean, they absolutely put that information out there. And, and other statistics and other religions do this. And I just try to think why the church is not more transparent. I mean, is it embarrassment that it's not growing as quickly? Is it because they think people will become disenchanted, disillusioned? I don't know. There's nothing wrong with saying, here's where we're at. Now let's move forward on this. But they, they will not do it. It leaves everybody in kind of this gray area where you really don't know what you even belong to. Well, I can answer that question. The church is as transparent as they know how to be. All right. So, there you go. You said it. <laughs> there you go. There you have it. Now, our next article here is on uh, political neutrality and participation. The church updated its, uh, uh, its statement on being politically neutral here just a couple of days ago. Hey, there's a couple of sections here that I wanted to go over. And let me quote from the article here and get y'all's reaction. The church does not seek to elect government officials, support or oppose political parties, or generally take sides in global con uh, in global conflicts. Uh, Rebecca, what's your reaction to this updated verbiage on political neutrality and participation? Well, I was actually kind of laughing because Landon and I just did an episode, was it two weeks ago, I think, um, called Church Versus State. And it talks all about the political maneuvering that happened, kind of the B.H. Roberts story, the political manifesto. I mean, it, Check out the episode. It's pretty awesome. But almost everything that they mentioned in this updated statement, we were like, check. Nope. Did that. Did that. Did that. I mean, we could literally go down the list. There it is. Look, look, you're excellent. There it is. Yeah. I mean, especially in Utah and not only in Utah to the point where and I think you've talked about this on your show before um, China, other governments look at state governments where they can 
influence. That means governments that are very much controlled by one entity and all they have to do is get in with this one entity. And they have earmarked Utah as a place like that, a, almost a theocracy. So I don't know, would you agree with that, Landon? Yeah, and it was incredible as we studied this uh, because it, the the podcast centers around statehood, what they had to do to, to get statehood. And there were all kinds of things that, that were limiting them. They, could, they couldn't participate in uh, in, in polit politics, and yet every person that started a political party was an apostle. Every senator was nominated by the church. The church basically had apostles and, and general authorities running for every political po position. And when they had the Democrats, B.H. Roberts was a Democrat who tried to run, uh, they basically went in general conference and said he didn't have our permission to run and he lost the election. So they've certainly in the past completely uh, meddled in, in politics and nobody in Utah could possibly read that with a straight face and know that the church does not play into politics in, in, this, in this state. This does explain uh, help explain why the church has refused to rebuke, for instance, Vladimir Putin or Russia for the out outrageous Ukrainian invasion. If the church is saying that we are going to remain neutral in global uh, in global conflicts, so I guess it's just up to me, and I'm supposed to pray to know which side I'm supposed to be uh, taking these global conflicts. Seems kind of important to know um, who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. I, I don't know. I, I think they made that mistake with Hitler. They. Uh, they very much played into Hitler's side of things and, and supported him with the church and, and other areas there. And I, I think it came back to bite him, although they now use, uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, Himmler? Or, Himmler, uh, yeah, Heinrich Himmler. Heinrich Himmler, Himmler, yeah. Yeah, as an example. No, they definitely were attracted to the Nazi party for its family values. Um, if you want, if you have not looked into this, <laughs> go down that rabbit hole, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, I guess, you know, this really reminds me of when uh, in the Book of Mormon, you remember when Captain Moroni sat in his tax exempt fortified bunker on North Temple in the Book of Mormon and refused to take up arms because he wanted to remain neutral? Do you guys, yeah. I think that's in Alma, I forget which chapter that's One of in. my favorite stories. Yeah. Was, that the guy, was that the guy with the bow and arrow in his garments? Uh, I can't remember. <laughs> What? Hold up that picture. Have you not heard well, of that story? Oh, you haven't heard of that story? Yes. Yeah, so there was a guy who pretended to be Captain Moroni downtown oh, no. Salt Lake and, oh, and uh, yeah. was interviewed on the news in his garments. Oh, boy. I'll tell you what. It also reminds me of when I read in the Bible. You remember when Elisha and he had the armies of the Syrians and he had a servant with him and he turned to his servant and he said, and he opened the eyes of his servants because there was so many um, there was so many foreign armies. And he said, don't worry, they that be with us are a heck of a lot less than they that be with them because we're not going to get involved with this. Or, or actually, no. Or remember in Exodus chapter 17, when Moses turned to Joshua and commanded him to slaughter the Amalekites, and Joshua said, no, sorry, my official position is I don't take sides. Yeah, I, I don't remember those stories in the Bible. You know what I mean? No. They may cross believe, up at one point. <laughs> I believe they formed a battalion, though, during the uh, American-Mexican uh, War, uh, but mm -hmm. they did get paid for that. So I guess that maybe you take sides when you get paid <laughs> yeah that's a good point the mormon battalion who did yep. the uh, you know famous march down and did uh, you know famous march down to san diego you know let's look at another uh, section of this here we could spend a whole episode on it but uh, it says the church does not allow its church buildings uh to our, our membership lists or other resources to be used for political purposes uh, what's your uh, reaction to that uh, rebecca well, I will tell you, and I've told this story before, um, I was sitting in Relief Society one day and they came in and said, we are all going down to California to protest Prop 8. Sign this petition, sign up to ride the bus. It was definitely a political tone to this meeting. They were uh, canvassing us, they were recruiting us. We were gonna get on this giant charter bus and drive down to California and go door to door and try to meddle in California state politics. And that was a very pivotal moment for me because I, 
I was kind of laughing to myself. And then sobering, I looked around, every one of my friends and neighbors were signing up to get on that bus. And that's when I kind of realized, wow, this is, this is kind of a dangerous organization <laughs> because they did, they were going to interfere. So yeah, absolutely. And another thing that, the, yeah, that brings me up, the Prop 8 is obviously a, a big part of that. Another one of the uh, things is it says it does not advise its members on how to vote. And I guess that's what the caveat, Landon, that unless you're a senator or a congressman, is that, do I have that right? Or? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they definitely uh, told them how to vote. Uh, there were some, of the, some of the things we've been studying recently, uh, the, the sugar industry early in the uh, 1920s, uh, they absolutely had complete control of the senator was an LDS senator who actually was there, you know, basically to represent the church in Congress. So they, they certainly do that. And uh, I think even at local politics, uh, I've been in the uh, uh, the, po the political uh, where we, we go in and we vote for re representatives locally for to go caucus. for the caucus. Yeah. And, you know, a member of the state presidency walks in and everyone votes him in and he's automatically the representative there there. You don't stand a chance running against a member of the state presidency that you're going to be the uh, the representative. So they definitely, they may not tell you how, but they certainly vote as a block and, and have the power that way. Yeah, they won't tell you how to vote unless Joseph Smith is uh, running for president and then all bets are off, right? <laughs> you know, the other, uh, another one of the, uh, uh, from here, it says, uh, the church does believe and teach that members should be subject to kings, presidents, rulers, magistrates, you know, being honoring and sustaining the law. And that is unless you need to break the law for decades to hide the existence of a clandestine hedge fund or hide polygamy or do anything else that God has told you what to do, right? That's right. Well, that is a kingdom. They're, they're, they're obeying God's kingdom uh, and his rules instead of the, the laws of democracy, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another one of the uh, uh, from this uh, article says uh, the church does recognize the universal right to the free exercise of conscience and believes all individuals and institutions should be able to express publicly their views on issues facing society. I do want to kind of put a caveat into that, too. That's that's unless the free exercise of uh, your conscience results in personal criticism of senior church leaders. And then it's time for a membership council. Yes. Or if it's on BYU campus or any other church school campus, you certainly can't yeah. express your free opinion. And you can't light the Y. Heaven forbid. Don't you dare go up there and put some colors on that dang Y. You cannot do it. <laughs> yeah, not, not much of a free exercise of conscience mm -hmm. there. A couple of other uh, highlights from this article here. It says that the uh, church encourages its members to engage in the political process in an informed and civil manner, respecting that fellow members of the church come from a variety of backgrounds and experiences and may have differences of opinion in partisan political matters. The church also encourages its members to keep all communications, including on social media, respectful and aligned with Christ-like behavior. Seems like a nice sentiment. And I just want to put one caveat in there. That is, you should use Christ-like, uh, you know, uh, in politics, be Christ-like, unless you're talking about lazy learners or lax disciples, or people whose countenances have fallen, I mean, after all, where will you go? That's right. Or someone that you need to, you know, have a little more musket fire toward, right? There's all of those things. I, can I, I don't think I've seen a meaner social media than when somebody who is a, an ex or post-Mormon comments on something that uh, someone in the ward has said, <laughs> and boy, they get jumped like, like crazy. There is no room for a counter opinion in that at all. Yeah, the church's statement also says that it provides humanitarian assistance around the world, including areas of international conflict. And I guess I'll just put a caveat into that, too, which says that just so long as those donations do not rise above the 1% of total church assets. That seems to be 1% seems to be the cap on that. 
you know, and somebody tweeted this out. They said, you know, uh, is the church really, are they actually neutral? And this is from Kolob and Peace, which runs a very interesting Twitter account. And if you actually think about it, the church um, absolutely does not remain neutral. And that's for one reason. And that's because through Enzyme Peak, through its investment arm, the church invests in American defense contractors. Okay, those, those are war making companies that make and wage war on this planet. Um, and so therefore the church is really taking a side that says, you know, these American, and, and these are funding mostly American defense contractors. When you fund and put billions of dollars into American defense contractors' pockets and their stakeholders, you are implicitly taking sides uh, on the side of the U.S. government. Yeah. Well, and can we talk about the leaked memo years ago from the Oregon senator, I think it was. Is that right, Landon? Yeah. Who said back to me, and I can't remember what church leader, but he said, I definitely know of some church broke people who will vote the way we want. This was about the Iraq war with the idea that were we at war with them, we would have a missionary opportunity after the country was more open after war. So right there, you have church influencing international you know, politics, actual war, something that your children might be asked to go to. And it was all for the sake of one religion's belief that the most important thing is to get their missionaries in there at any cost. So that is very disturbing. Yeah, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that, and uh, let's go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and bring that up. This was from Mormon Leaks back uh, with Ryan McKnight and uh, yeah. Ethan Dodge, and this is where a church spokesperson in particular is talking about Oregon LDS senator uh, and how his relationship and his staffers interacted with the church. And again, these are leaked videos here. Let's see how the church spokesperson casts uh, Senator Smith and his relationship with the church. I stand as a witness. Of his tireless advocacy for the vital interest of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. <clears throat> for in my experience, he always stood ready first and foremost as a high priest and as a covenant member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saint, and receptive and able and willing to serve its most vital interest in Washington and, in fact, internationally. Though I can't remember any Latter-day Saints that were permanent members of his staff, it was fair to say that his staff in the Senate was church broke. In fact, not many months ago, his legislative director called me on the phone and he said, Ralph, you haven't called us for six weeks. What are we supposed to be doing? Gordon and Sharon Smith are the parents of three children, all adopted and one deceased and they will soon welcome their first grandchild. Gordon will shortly join the distinguished, well-known Washington law firm of Covington and Burling. So yeah, does it seem like the church is remaining neutral with its uh, re representatives in Congress? No, that's one of the most horrible things I've ever seen. I mean, did you really listen to that? His number one duty is as a high priest, as a covenant holder, he is ready to, I'll say the phrase again, do your duty Mormon over anything else, the people that elected him or his, uh, his associates, any of that. And all of that is second place to his duty to his land and called it the kingdom. We've now learned that the kingdom of God plays by different rules. This has been said by apologists. And we see that right here. He's going to do what is in the church's best interest. Yeah. Landon? No, I 100% I agree. I think when I was an active member, I thought it was great that uh, you had, you know, LDS men representing you in in Congress and in the Senate. Uh, now it scares the hell out of me because I realized uh, 
that those men have taken an oath to first and foremost serve the church and even to the point of taking their life if they have to defend the church. So which oath is more important? Is it the oath to their country and to their nation or is it their oath to their church? Because if the two come into conflict for the rest of us out there, boy, that's that's scary to think that they're voting. And, and just like Rebecca said, if, if they voted uh, to go to war and my child is now going to die in fighting to make sure that they get their missionaries in somewhere, boy, that is that that's just scary to me. So uh, it, yeah. it certainly comes fraught with danger. Yeah, and don't forget that the church has filed a number of political amicus briefs in many different jurisdictions and municipalities, um, which in my mind really uh, greatly questions whether they're politically neutral. You could say that those are moral issues, but when you're filing those type of briefs, there's inherently a political angle, at least in part, to those particular um, to those particular things, you know the, the real the real fact of the matter is is that the church is a tax exempt organization and so is Enzyme Peak Advisors. And as a tax exempt um, uh, organization, you can't engage in in any type of politics. That's why these statements are coming out from the church that says we don't engage in any politics because the church does not want to lose its tax exempt status either for itself or for Enzyme Peak. Um, any last thoughts on this uh, church neutrality statement here, guys? I, I do want to point out that uh, I think every church plays that same game, though they they're not allowed to, to to participate in politics but they they do uh which it, it's just sad that they get that tax exempt status to to where they can build up these coffers to fight stuff where the other side doesn't have that same opportunity you know yeah, and that's, and I, oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, i was going to say that every talk given from the pulpit um every conference talk every article it tells you how to vote because it tells you what you're supposed to think and it sets your morality for you so you know how to vote you already know yeah, and that, speaking of which, uh, just this week, uh, uh, LDS Congressman Chris Stewart, who's a Utah representative here, is he your uh, congressman, Landon? Or yeah, he is. Yep. Oh yeah. Well, the, uh, you know, he's stepping back here. Unfortunately, he has uh, let us know that his wife is uh, sick. He's not going to be finishing out his term, and he's going to be resigning. And that does bring um that 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 brings the total number of congressmen, and they're all men. I believe it was six before he retired, and now there's only I guess. Now there's five uh, LDS, uh, either senators or congressmen between Mitt Romney and the other congressmen in Congress right now. And, um, you know, that kind of reminds me of when Jason Chapis, who was also a Mormon, who was also a Latter-day Saint, he retired, uh, he resigned suddenly from his term as well to take a lucrative Fox News uh, gig. It seems like a lot of these LDS congressmen, they're not finishing out their terms. Yeah, he'll be replaced by another one within the 90 days, so... Much like a clone company manager. Exactly. <laughs> and that's what the, the Salt Lake Tribune is speculating and saying, okay, who is going to be replacing? Um, there's a lot of speculation because there's going to be a special election to replace Chris Stewart. Who's going to replace him? There's a couple of, there's Nick Mitchell, there's Amy Winder Newton. Several Utahns are already considering a run for Utah's second congressional district special election. And guys, that really got my mind thinking here. I thought, you know, who should, uh, you know, what if I could pick who was going to replace uh, Chris uh uh, Chris Stewart, and I had a couple of ideas here for you, and this is the Mormon News Roundup poll of the week, and I've got a couple of choices. Um, maybe you shouldn't take these choices too seriously, but let me get your thoughts on this, and for those of you in the live chat, you can uh, put your number into the live chat. We'd be appreciative of that. We release new episodes of the Mormon News Roundup every Sunday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Sunday nights, and you can interact with this live chat. So who should replace uh, Chris Stewart? Uh, you know, that begs the question. Well, um, you know, there's a lot of rats in politics, so let's find out who I've got in mind for you. So uh, I'll get your thoughts on this. Uh, I know this may be controversial, but my number one pick here is New Name Noah. And the more that I think, I know that seems controversial, but is he not the Donald Trump of Mormonism? Right? 
Yeah. Well, he's certainly tricky and he certainly can get places where other people can't. So and he's certainly into transparency. So maybe he's in my opinion, he is the Donald Trump of Mormonism. He would tear the whole place down from the top to the bottom. If you want change, I think new name Noah would be a good choice. Or or how about Curtin or McConkey? I'll take either of the two. <laughs> Are they real people? I've always wondered about that. Is yeah, see this when you go into the <laughs> when you go into the website here, I looked this up on the website. They 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 they're founding members of Curtin McConkey. Um they they're no longer around. Instead you just have a bunch of other um really um typical white guys, uh, middle aged white guys here, uh from Mr. Robert Walker who's the president of Curtin McConkey to Michael D. Johnson, who's the vice president, and Eric B. Robinson who's the secretary. You know what? It seems like they picked those guys' names because they had limited social media presence. And generic names, by the way. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, they live in Delaware. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll take either one, Curtin or McConkey. Uh, or how about Cosmo the Cuckoo? Everyone loves Cosmo, Everyone right? Loves uh, I think I think he loses the U vote. Uh, you're, oh. you're just not going to get it. Okay. <laughs> Two partisan. Two partisan to pick uh, to pick Cosmo. Well, if he comes out as gay, he might, uh, you know, that, that might energize the youth vote, you know, <laughs> but you could lose some church members over that. So that's kind of a double edged sword. Or and how about be kicked out of BYU? So true. Or how about anyone? He'll need a job. <laughs> I'll take anyone from the cast of Studio C, anyone, Aww. especially especially any of the uh, the women. You know, there's not enough women in politics. I'll take any anybody from the cast of Studio yeah. C. Got to be better than what we have now. Or how about uh, one of the three Nephites? Yeah. You know, that would be a heck of a selection. You, you could repeat the Reed Smoot hearings. You know, that'd be kind of a tricky one, but, you know, they could be real good stand-ins, my opinion. But how do you choose between the three? You know, they're, they're, they're they also They act popular. in unison. That's in <laughs> they're it's one in purpose. One. <laughs> they're, they're, they're three individuals, but they act one in purpose. Or how about one, uh, Mac from Saturday's Warrior? Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the, the gang leader? You know, he's a real he's handsome guy. hair. I would vote for him just for his hair alone. I miss that hair in the 80s, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, that's a, kind of a sleeper candidate. That's um, that's what, that's what I'd love to see. Or how about Jim Bennett? You know, he's had oh. so many uh, failed uh, political runs. Uh, he's done better in politics than I have. But, uh, you know, he's famous for the CS letter uh, response. How about uh, Jim Bennett, you know, uh, gets back up on there? I can't think of a better person. We've had him on this podcast, too. What do you think? It's possible we, Landon and I, actually just talked to Jim. Was it last night, Landon? Last night, it? yeah. It was last night. Yeah, we're going to have him on Mormonish. So when he comes on, we will ask him if he would consider running for this seat because he's just recently started his own podcast, but he could double dip. I can see it. Yeah, I think Jeremy Reynolds would be a great running mate for him. I'm just putting that out there. That's I'm just I'm just throwing ideas out. They could be bad. He, he might leave to go do his podcast, though. You know, yeah. resign for Congress to go do his podcast. That's possible. <laughs> Who knows? That's and true. the Tabernacle Choir. He's a member, so that he's is, very busy true. with that too. But people would vote for him because of that, because they are it's a beloved choir. That's true. We are going to have Ian Wilkes, who's uh, his co-host on his new podcast on the Mormon News Roundup here um, in about a month. Oh, or my awesome. next. Yeah, my next yep. election would be uh, James Hamula, you know, the LDS church leader oh. who was uh, excommunicated back in 2017 yeah. for unnamed reasons. It's only, um, you know, he is a lawyer, right. and I, I don't know, he, I think he would fit right in. No, and we know for sure that he was not excommunicated for doubting. So that's yeah. not, oh. you know, it's, he's still faithful. He can still get that vote. We were never told exactly what, but it was not. They want to make very clear, doubt, not at all. So he'd be a great candidate, and he probably is not doing anything right now. So. <laughs> I think he's back at his old law firm. Uh, heavens no, he didn't. He didn't doubt for a minute. That much no. we know. No. Anything else about it, we know nothing about it. But yes, he still is a strong, strong believer. Or how about uh, Tucker Carlson? He said oh. we're supposed to have Mormon levels of kids. 
<laughs> and he needs a job right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, or how about the, the ghost? Of, there's not enough women in politics. How about the ghost of eternal polygamy? Uh, that's kind of a that's kind of a tricky one there. Uh, could be tough. So in the chat there, cast your votes here. And also, let's hear from both of you. If you could, if you were the czar, if you were the um, if you were in charge, which one of those? This is a tough poll here. But uh, Rebecca, who would you who would you put in? You know, I think I would vote for Jim Bennett because we would be guaranteed entertainment for his entire term because he's always going to, you know, say it like it is. And yeah, I think he'd be fun. I think he'd be fun to watch. Landon? I, I was going to say the same thing, Jim Bennett, because of the fact he's the most nuanced one that has, and you have to be, you have to be an active Mormon to win. So he's the most nuanced of all of them. Although Ian Wilkes would make a great, would make he a great one great. when we talked to him last night. He was a yeah. very interesting person. Really interesting guy. My personal vote is Mac from Saturday's Warrior. Anybody who is that comfortable, <laughs> who's comfortable wearing a t-shirt that goes that low, I can put a lot of confidence. Um, I can put a lot of confidence in somebody who's comfortable with a t-shirt that's that low. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, that's just a joke poll, by the way. Now, our next our next article here is uh, uh, is from uh, the uh, the Desert News itself, the Church News itself. Uh, President Eyring here, he um, the Latter Day Saint first. The Church has four nonagenarian apostles, including the entire first presidency. Uh, we we've got some real real um, ages going on here. President Eyring, you celebrated his birthday this last week, and I've got a TikTok that goes along with that for you. Hopefully, the uh, audio plays. Today is Henry B. Eyring's birthday. He's turning 90, which means for the first time in the history of the Mormon Church, the entire First Presidency are in their 90s. Russell M. Nelson will hit 99 this September. Of course, I couldn't let this landmark pass without sending President Eyring an email to wish him a happy birthday. Dear President Eyring, many congratulations on your 90th birthday. Today marks the day when, for the first time, every member of the First Presidency of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a nonagenarian. It would seem that the second anointing has anti-aging properties. So if you could book me in, I fancy hitting 90 myself. As tongue-in-cheek as that email was, the fact remains that the combined age of the First Presidency is 85 years older than the church itself, which in turn explains why they are just so far removed from the social issues that are important to the younger generations that they are so desperately trying to keep in the church. What do you think, Landon? I didn't even know what a non-agerian is. <laughs> We learned That's the first word. time I've ever heard of that. Yeah, we learned that new word this week. <laughs> yes, but, nonagenarian. Octogenarian is octogen I knew what an octogenarian, but I didn't know what, once you hit 90, I had no idea what that went we to. We didn't know so. it went to 11, right? Yes. The presidency goes to 11. Before they removed <laughs> them from the records of the church, yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, it was, it, wow, nine, it, that, that just, how do, you, how do you run an organization when everyone is over 90 and they're trying to tell 19, 18 year old kids. Uh, I mean, these guys were, you know, what's that model A cars when they were born? Silent and generation. Yeah, absolutely. Silent it, generation. You just don't see how do they connect with them. And of course, everyone will say, well, God, God will lead them. But uh, you, you just I don't see how you how you connect at that level uh, when you're that old. Yeah. When I Google uh, Henry B. Iron, it's kind of funny when you uh, Google him. Um, guess what he comes up with? He does not come up as one of the only 15 members who are special witnesses to the name of Jesus. When you Google Henry B. Iring, he just comes up as an American administrator. He's just a businessman. He's an administrator. Is that accurate or do we need to write into Google to get that changed? No. And that would be different from what he's actually doing because... <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Good point. <laughs> uh, seems pretty accurate to me. Uh, seems pretty accurate. Now, uh, you know, he also um, we saw this this photo here of President Iring here with his wife. 
You know, and they say that couples, when they get older, they start looking like each other. But that is, um, that's really taking it to the next that's level. Him. That's that's a real photo from the church news. There's a lot of similarity there, isn't there, Landon? Uh, I now see why his son looks just like him. Yeah. <laughs> There's some gene pool going on there that can't be denied. That's incredible. Yeah, that's uh, really something, you know, uh, that's a really amazing. And in honor, the church released in honor of President Eyring's uh, uh, 90th birthday, he shares some lessons learned from um, learned from his wife and from his 38 years of church service. Because remember, before he was a member of the um, a Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, he was in the presiding bishopric. He was also the church commissioner of the uh, uh, CES system for a number of years. And, you know, guys, I know you don't have time to read all of those articles from his uh, lessons learned. So I've got some, some, some summarization here for you for um, what he has learned and what he shared in that article. And I just want to get your thoughts on it. And maybe you can kind of tell by my tone where I'm going with this one. But here is his number one takeaway from 38 years of church service. If you build 13 fake shell companies to fraudulently conceal a dragon's hoard for over two decades in violation of federal law and basic morality, be sure not to form them all on the same day using the same IP addresses that are linked to the church. Otherwise, people are going to find out. A valuable lesson for all of us, I think. Hindsight, <laughs> <laughs> right there. How could he have seen that coming? You just can't. So now he can pass it along to the rest of us. Solid lesson learned, though. Good lesson. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good takeaway. I, I'm with you. Or right, uh, number two, the uh, the church should have used better screening for mid-level enzyme peak managers like David Nielsen. Solid lesson learned for him too. Whoops. How about uh, number three? If uh, I ever need to hide a hundred billion dollars in the future, I'm just going to move it all offshore. Yeah, that's fair. No reporting requirements, no, uh, you know, no, no reporting requirements, no 13F forms. You just put it all in the Caymans. That's a solid lesson learned from President Eyring. I think that um, is very, very smart. Or how about number four? Getting my son that BYU-Idaho president's job was the best decision I ever made. I think that's it. I think you nailed it right there. Yeah. Or how about, uh, I've just got six here. I'm summarizing the article because, you know, we're a little short on time. Wearing my heart on my sleeve thing, that's really working out because the ability to deliver an eight-minute sermon without repeatedly breaking down into tears is highly overrated. That's He's well known for that. Yes. <laughs> or finally, uh, number six, showing absolutely no national or global leadership on abortion, women's rights, gay rights, gun rights, food insecurity, climate change, homelessness, or almost anything else that meaningfully impacts the humans on this planet has made me today's most beloved LDS leader. That's heartwarming, guys. Yeah, we don't know where he stands on anything. He's so under the radar that we have no idea. So we love him. What yeah, are profits yeah. for, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, by gum, I can't wait till I'm old enough to be called the first presidency in a few decades or so. <laughs> that's right. That's a, that's a Trexmo meme. Uh, Landon and I run a little page uh, for post-Mormon Star Trek fans. And yeah, that was what when Captain Kirk uh, caught an aging virus. So he's <laughs> And he's still younger than, than all the first presidents. <laughs> that's right. Still too young. True. Now, uh, just a lot to, to wrap up on the Henry Iring thing here. Um, you know, I always go back to President Hinckley because I, um, I grew up with Hinckley, uh, President Hinckley, and I'm just a big President Hinckley fan. He went on to 60 Minutes and Mike Wallace asked him about the fact that LDS church leaders are so old. And uh, let's just uh, play that response for you and uh, let's see um, what your thoughts are on it. Gordon Hinckley says he never intended to become president of the church, but that one by one, all the other church leaders with more seniority died. There are those who say this is a gerontocracy. This is, this is a church run by old men. Isn't it wonderful to have a man of maturity at the head, a man of judgment who isn't blown about by every wind of doctrine? Absolutely, as long as he's not dotty. <laughs> Thank you for the compliment. Yeah, it, uh, Rebecca, isn't it wonderful? 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's a valid point as long as he's not dutty. Other branches of the restoration have a safety valve where their prophet can retire at a certain age. We just saw that, I think, in the community of Christ or they're, they're scheduled to retire. We don't have anything like that. We do not have a single system in place where somebody could become emeritus. And what would happen if all three nonagenarians were suddenly completely infirm? Then you have a power vacuum. And what you've seen in the past when there's a power vacuum, even when there's a prophet who's infirm, you have other people stepping up, you have infighting. I mean, you know what happens in the corporate world where there's a power vacuum. It's even worse in a theocracy. So it's dangerous. It's not any way to run any kind of an organization. In Landon, a Landon, isn't it wonderful? Isn't it I, I think the problem with it is, is eventually everybody gets to be over 90 years old who's running mm -hmm. your church. and It's going to continue that way uh, for a long time, at least till Bednar comes along. Uh, but uh, it just seems like there's no new life ever breathed into the church because it's always such old people that are running it. And, and like Rebecca just said, what happens when someone gets infirmed? Who is running the church at mm -hmm. that point? Does anybody know? Is it the first presidency? Is it the senior member of the Quorum of the Twelve? Is it Lawyers. his family? Who's running it? Lawyers. We saw it with Benson. We saw it with Monson. I mean, it was very obvious. And they kept up this facade of, oh, no, he loves everyone. He's aware. He's not. You know, there's a point. And also, I think it's I think it's a little on the cruel side to make someone of that age perform those duties. I mean, there needs to be some kind of emeritus factor, some way that, that they could become emeritus and, you know, still be involved, still have influence, but let someone else run it. I, I think it's cruel. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's like Biden being the president I, almost, but we won't get involved in politics because we're oh, in trouble. <laughs> Landon, I think we're going to get a copyright strike on YouTube for that. So you're going to have to cut that out, cut that right no, now. No, no way, no way. Um, you know that does remind me, you know, are and that's the question: Are apostles older? You know, are apostles older than they used to be? And I found this that this is very timely here, just released just a, a couple of weeks ago. Are apostles older than they used to be? Well, this graph here shows the age of apostles over time. With the the top uh, green one is the yes. oldest apostle. Apostle. The one, the middle one is an average apostle, and then the youngest apostle is in blue. The age of the average apostle back in the 1870s was in the 40s. And now the age of the average, the average apostle's age is in their 80s. It's very, very old. The average age of death of an apostle has also risen over time. Apostles now, the average apostle dies when they are a na almost 90 years old. So if your average apostle dies when they're 90, you are never going to have another president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who is below the age of 90 or the rest of uh, the church's uh, future. You know, And a lot of people think that there's a bit, bit of a problem with that. What, what do you think, uh, uh, Landon? I, I'm trying to understand how beneficial life went bankrupt with those kind of uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, and I yeah. think we forget, think back, the church was started by a bunch of scrappy, punky 20-year-olds, right? And I sometimes feel that if uh, some of those early church leaders, Joseph or Sidney, were to come back and look at what was happening now, they go, who are these old guys? What is this? This is not what I had in mind. Yeah, and the average age, the average... Yeah, without without question, the average service age of the apostles, uh, you know, the apostles are usually serving on average about 35 years. And if you call people into the apostleship in their 50s, that's going to put them right at around 90. And then and it's the last man standing. You've got to outlive everyone. So you're looking at 95 years of age. You know, it's just incredible. This is a this chart here shows the average age of a call. When do you get your um, call into the apostleship? You can see that back in the 1840s, the average age was in the 30s. In the 1920s, the average age was around 50. 1960s, it's up to 60. The average age of, of apostles of when you get your call now 
is around 62 years of age. And if you have to serve 35 years and your average in-call date is 62, you can see that the math here is really incredible for the age of the people that we're that, that are running the church. You know, it's you know, it's quite a system that we that we've got. You know what I mean? Someone yeah. should have thought of that uh, before they put that whole uh, outlive everyone else. In place. The same place. Yeah, it's the oldest. God keeps you alive. You know, the one that God wants to be the prophet is the one that's kept alive. Although I do remember an interview at one point where they said something about that our church doesn't have the problems that other churches have with scandals among upper leadership, perhaps sexual scandals. It's not happening with a non. I mean, I won't say it won't ever happen, but chances are it will not happen with a nonagenarian. You know, if Dorf gets to the top, anything could happen. I'll well, he's a silver fox. Are you kidding? If you're a nonagerian involved in a, if, if you're a nonagerian involved in a sex scandal, you deserve to be there. Slow <laughs> clap. Slow clap. Well done. That could be just what the church needs to uh, connect with the young folks. You know, what that, I mean? that's exactly right. Oh, grandpa, I mean, great grandpa, you go. I mean, great great grandpa, you go. Just, just one last thought here on uh, Henry Eyring's birthday and the age and and what we're in here. In my, in my, in my humble estimation, Henry Eyring is really the mastermind behind Enzyme Peak. Um, the entire thing. He was yep. called into the first presidency under President Hinckley in 1997. That is the same year that Enzyme Peak was formed. And remember, President Eyring, um, he's been in the First Presidency the entire time. He's the only one who's been in the First Presidency the entire time of Enzyme Peak. And he was a businessman. He taught business at Stanford. He has an MBA and a PhD in business from Harvard, or as I like to call it, the BYU of the East. Well, that's true. It's too bad that he fell victim to that bad advice from lawyers, given his yeah. multiple uh, degrees, his years teaching exactly this kind of strategy and his time spent in church finance. It's too bad. Wow. Maybe that's why he's crying. You know what I mean? Cognitive dissonance. Now, now, Rebecca, you found this next article here, and it's a Utah school district bans the Bible in elementary and middle schools due to vulgarity and violence. The Bible is getting banned in Utah. I'd say it ain't so. Yeah, we had been following this for a while because it was several months ago where somebody had put in like a copyright strike, you know, against the Bible saying to the school district, this is violent. This is sexual. We don't want this in here. And we were really curious to see what would happen because could this happen in Utah? Could they objectively look at these scriptures? And it looks like it happened, although not in high school, just in junior high and in elementary school, they determined that, that it was not material appropriate, age appropriate for those kids but it's still in high school. But then even more interesting, and you may have another slide on that, do you, before I get ahead of you? <laughs> well, um, you're talking about that somebody also put in um, yeah. uh, a thing about the Book of Mormon saying, you yeah. know, the Book of Mormon is also yeah. has violence, it has rape, it has torture, mm -hmm. it has racism mm -hmm. in it. And if you're yep. gonna ban the, the Bible, then you should also ban the Book of Mormon. Yeah, it's like a cold day in hell that the Book of Mormon would literally be banned from school districts in Utah. I would think that everybody's rolling over in their graves right now. It's, this, it'll be amazing if that goes through. This is my school district. So it's, uh, yeah, very mm -hmm. fascinating. Very Did interesting. Did you put in the, the request, the strike? It, yeah. <laughs> was it you? It was, it was not me. No, I, I, I thought it was a brilliant idea, though, because if you look at the history behind this, what happened was uh, the, the, the legislature who doesn't get involved in in uh, politics, uh, you know, the church doesn't get involved in Utah politics, decided that it would be a good idea to ban all LGBTQ plus yes. books. Uh, and so they put all these criteria that if it had these in, they could then ban them so they could get the, uh, the books that were LGBTQ friendly out. And it, as a result, someone turned it on them and said, well, the Bible meets all those requirements. And the <laughs> committee looked at it and said, it does. We have to, we have to uh, not allow the Bible because that's what we, what we said. So it, it 
turned it around and show bit a little activism you know isn't good <laughs> that's right it bit him in the you know what that's right, it did. That's right. Yeah. yeah it's kind of a great story actually it's kind of a very interesting scenario well, I, I have to tell you, I already submitted a, uh, I already submitted the Book of Abraham just to make sure we had all of our bases covered. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, the fact that the, uh, the, the, the fact that the black slave was misidentified, that is, um, that's racism. Um, you know, that the Pharaoh was, uh, didn't have a, you know, was born of a Egyptus and, uh, he didn't have the lineage of his fathers and didn't have the priesthood. That's racist. So I'm just going to make sure that all of the bases are covered there. If you don't well, mind. and the facsimiles, I mean, some versions, they left some things in that if you looked out on sacrament meeting, you saw, especially just, you know, Oh. oh, yeah, that's true. Facsimile <laughs> hypocephalus. Uh, facsimile some, hypocephalus. Yeah, there are some etchings there. Let's just say that. So, what yeah. Are the, what are the seminary buildings and the junior highs going to do at this point? I don't know. Oh, now that's a, that is a very interesting point. Are they considered part of the school? They're, they're not considered part of the school, not. so they'll oh, let oh, them. Oh, because separation church and state. So, yeah, you can go across the street and yeah. see all of that, but you can't do oh, it got in it. your school building. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Can Absolutely. you take your scriptures into the school building? Like if you are coming from seminary to the school building, can you take that the Bible into the building? Yeah, I believe they only banned it from the library. The library okay. can't have so it. You in fact, they only, did, they only did the King James Version. For some reason, the other, the other versions are okay. So go figure. I think it's because Mormons don't understand that there are other versions of the no, Bible they and that they, they basically say the same thing. They just say it in a more modern way. Yeah. So. The JST. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, we'll wait to see what happens. Uh, I don't know if it's all going to get overturned, but uh, I mean, it just seems like, the, you know, the Bible from a cultural perspective, from a cultural heritage perspective, um, you know, it seems like it's a part of our um, of our history. And it seems like, uh, in my opinion, that kids should be uh, generally uh, exposed to it. I'm not a big fan of uh, all of the, the the cancel culture and the banning of the books and things like that. I think that kids should generally have access to a wide variety of books. And I certainly think that the Bible qualifies. And that's just my uh, humble take on it. I would agree with you. Uh, the The only problem is, is you can't then tell other people that they can't have their books either. And that's what was that. That's what this was about. In fact, I think the person who filed it filed it because they said this, you know, you, you guys passed this trying to spite this one group. And now I'm going to make you pay for it. So, yeah. OK, that does take us to our final uh, news article. This is our featured news story for the uh, for the week. And we're going to spend quite a bit of time on this. This was a really incredible article that was put out here by Skylar Sorensen on May 30th, 2023. This is an editorial on the Deseret News. Why, as a gay man, I stand for traditional marriage. And this has really gone uh, viral this week, uh, hasn't it, uh, Rebecca? Yeah, it seems like everybody's talking about this and just the concept in general, because he's not the first one in a situation like this, a mixed orientation uh, relationship to speak out. There was a very well-known couple, the Weeds, I believe was their last name, and they for years talked about a scenario like this, that it worked, that it was great. And then of course, uh, I believe they divorced and moved on and actually apologized uh, for even you know, sharing that point of view because they said that wasn't, that wasn't accurate. So it's a, it's a really charged issue. There's a lot to unpack in it. Yeah, we find out while I was reading through it about paragraph three, all of a sudden I come across that he's in a mixed orientation marriage where he's gay and he's married to a woman. And that really gave me great cause for pause in this particular article. I couldn't believe that that was being printed by the Deseret News. Uh, what's your initial thoughts on this uh, article here, uh, uh, Landon? Um, boy, it was really tough as I read through there to think that someone is actually advocating that you marry somebody that you're not attracted to at and and that's where he kind of lost me because he he said he was gay, uh, but that 
he was happy with his wife and he had children with his wife, uh, but he was advocating this. And I just don't see how that works in, in any situation. Uh, when you aren't attracted to your wife, how does your wife feel about that? Uh, just a horrible position, I would think. Yeah, so let's, um, our, our author here of the editorial, and he also has an Amazon book here. Skylar Sorensen grew up in St. George, Utah, is the fourth of eight children. He comes from a long line of uh, L, a long line of LDS folks here. He lives in Utah County, and he currently works as a video er editor for American Heritage Schools, which is an LDS-themed uh, schools, uh, uh, schools. And he's published a book here on Amazon here that's called Exclude Not Thyself, How to Thrive as a Covenant-Keeping Gay Latter-day Saint. It's out on Kindle currently. But um, it's uh, going to be published and, and taken up in a more uh, robust context. But uh, as far as um, his, he also has a Twitter account here that he tweeted out on. And he said, you know, my news article for the Deseret News, I offer ideas for upholding Latter-day Saint beliefs while respecting those who believe differently. This has caused a huge amount of controversy because, um, you know, you have somebody who's gay, somebody who's in a mixed orientation marriage. Now, I wouldn't say, Landon, that he's necessarily advocating for mixed orientation marriages. But he is certainly advocating for what he calls traditional marriage, which means that children should be raised by a mother and a father. Uh, before we delve into the, we're going to pull into some of the article. Um, we're going to read a, a little bit out of the article. Any other thoughts on this preamble here, Rebecca? Is there anything that I left out? You know, I just feel like uh, back in the 80s, uh, that was actually the advice from leaders. Mm -hmm. Oh, just marry. You're going to be fine. You'll, you'll get over this. Just do it. I have a personal example of a roommate who ended up in a scenario like that, not knowing. And 10 years later, divorce, heartache, children. I really felt that they had moved away from that kind of advice. I felt like they were not saying that anymore. They were feeling like that they understood the harm it was doing. So I'm surprised to see something like this again in the Deseret News. And as you say, it may be just to promote traditional marriage, man and a woman. But you can't help but see that this is someone who's making it work, maybe giving false hope to relatives, to people themselves. It's just irresponsible to me, very irresponsible. Yeah, Landon? Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And I, I, he kept talking about the nuclear family and how that's anciently been the, uh, the, the best form of, of marriage. And I'm just going, do you not know the revelation on polygamy? Why would God say polygamy is okay if that's not the best way to raise a family? So the church certainly has not always followed the nuclear family that he's advocating for, but yet he's now saying that that's the best way. Yeah, and he rejects gay marriage in the um, article as well. And that just brings me back. What about the Respect for Marriage Act, which the church came out in favor of in December, which says that we're going to leave the gay marriage issue alone. It's been settled by the Supreme Court with Abravel and Hodges. We want to have the ability as a church to be able to perform marriages the way that we want. But in the public sphere, we're going to leave it alone. This article seems to be calling the church's, it, the church's very position into question. But that was clarified. If you remember, <clears throat> by, I think it was Oaks, where he said, no, 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 do not be concerned. Yes, we voted for this, but really wanted that one little tricky part in the middle where, you know, religious freedom. So the rest of it, just frosting, don't pay attention to that. So I think, but, but still, I think the fact is that this is in the Deseret News is surprising because there are all those issues and it seems to go counter to some of the other things that the church may be saying. So I'm surprised they would publish it. I am very surprised. You know, the Midnight Mormons tweeted this out here and said that uh, the most feared and hated man on the internet right now is a gay, married, and happy Latter-day Saint. Go, Brother Sky, go. I'm sure this politely worded opinion will be well received by our tolerant, our tolerant, our tolerant liberators. He, is he, he's the most hated and feared man on the internet, Sky Sorensen? 
Well, because he's showing that something that's, I think, pretty abhorrent can work, right? That's what he seems to be saying. But I don't know. I say again, give it a couple years, even less, perhaps, honestly. Well, I mean, I, I do wish him the very best in his personal yeah. relationships. Yeah. You know, I, I want him to find happiness. I want yeah. him to find success. You know, um, I, I definitely don't wish anyone's marriage to, to yeah. you know, have any issues with their marriage. It's just that I think what you're getting to, Rebecca, is that studies have shown, especially uh, John DeLynn himself studied this at the University of uh, at, at USU, that Mormon in particular, looking at just Mormon mixed orientation marriages, um, this was a study that was published back in 2016, and it was probably the biggest study on the subject variations in attitudes and experiences by sexual orientation and current relationship status. What John DeLynn and the other researchers in this particular study found is that mixed orientation marriages have an incredibly high likelihood of failure. In fact, the, the failure rates are up to three times as likely in a mixed orientation marriage to fail and end in divorce than a regular, uh, uh, than a so-called traditional marriage or even a gay marriage. That's, that's the issue that we're really wanting to confront here. What do you think, Landon? Do we really even need a study to tell us that? I think common sense would tell us that, that uh, if you marry someone to whom you're not sexually attracted, that you're not going to have a very long marriage. I think there's some people who may be asexual or, or have a very low sex drive who might be able to make it work. But to say this is going to work for the majority of people is just uh, absurd. Yeah, I don't think that he's necessarily saying in the article that this is going to work for a majority of people. He's saying that it is works for me, however. I mean, he's not advocating for this as a, uh, I'm just trying to be as fair as I can, because in nowhere in the article does he say, all of you need to go out and have mixed orientation marriages. But he's saying, I found happiness in my mixed orientation marriage. And the implication is that you can too. Mm -hmm. And that is despite the sociological data, which shows that that is an incredibly precarious position to be in. Now, before we get into the actual article itself, any other, um, we're going to read a little bit out of the article. Any other thoughts on the uh, preamble before we read a little bit out of it? Yeah, I just like to clarify. I, of course, also, as you as you pointed out, I don't wish anybody to have that kind of pain of having a marriage fall apart with the kids and everything. That's awful. So that's not what I meant. I was referring to the studies, like you were right. saying, just statistically. And I also feel like it gives hope to parents, maybe, who wish that their child, you know, maybe it's just I think it sort of gives some false hope that there could be a different scenario that maybe isn't realistic. And, and that's sad. And I want to point out that, like you said, even if he's not advocating for this, the church is not publishing articles on two gay people who got married and it worked out. They're only they're only publishing this. Uh, so there's certainly an agenda here to say, hey, this can work uh, and which led lead you into the belief that, oh, I could do that. Or maybe that's maybe that's an option for me when when realistically it probably is not or the or the chances of that working for you are so infinitesimally small that it. It shouldn't be considered. Yeah, so let's read a couple of uh, sections from this. And uh, this is from Skye's, uh, Skyler's article. He said, quote, whether they see me as a religiously brainwashed, self-deceptive, dishonest about my sexuality or even cruel, they place a wedge between me and them, even though I'm technically a part of their community. So he seems to be saying that, um, you know, other gay, gay folks in the gay community won't accept him. And um, they think that he's, uh, you know, self-deceptive and dishonest. And what I would say uh, to that, you know, I'm not part of the LGBTQ community, but I don't look at him as self-deceptive. I don't look at him as cruel. I don't look at him as any of those things. What I would say is that he is someone who has placed himself into a relationship that has serious and significant challenges and that sociologists have consistently found to be unhealthy for everyone involved. It's not about being self-deluded or cruel or anything like that. that it's just, a, a, in my opinion, that's a straw man argument. 
And, and I had the question, uh, I didn't see it in the article, did his wife know before they married? Because that certainly plays into it. Uh, it's, it's only fair if she knows that that's the situation before she gets into it. I believe that she did, uh, but I don't have the answer to that. I don't, I don't, I don't know. That's something I would have to follow up with. Sorry, I don't have the answer to that. How, um, how about this next section here, which says increasingly within the LGBTQ community, there's an automatic assumption that same-sex attracted people like me should always pursue same-sex relationships and sexual expression, and that those with gender incongruence should always pursue gender transition. Some even believe religion serves as a a repressive mold instead of a foundation for spiritual success, stability, and well-being. Any thoughts on that section there, uh, Rebecca? Well, again, he's speaking for himself. There is such a range of, of everything from attraction to who you decide to. It's just a range. It's a gamut. There is absolutely no one-size-fits-all kind of a scenario here. And he presents it sort of as if it's very clear-cut, and it's anything but clear-cut at all. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, yeah, go ahead, Landon, sorry. I, I was just going to say that uh, he's talking about the LBGTQ uh, community being very one-sided, where he's coming from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which I believe is just as one-sided and says no one who is gay should be married to anybody uh, other than a, a heterosexual uh, couple or to be uh, celibate for the rest of your life. So they're just as rigid as the uh, as that community. So I, I think you've got to take it in fairness there that you've got two sides that are both saying something that uh, that, that are polar opposites, and there's probably a middle ground there that can be walked in by by different people. Yeah, the way that I would react to that statement is I, I don't think there, there's not an automatic assumption, in my opinion, but people need to understand the potentially negative outcomes that likely result from mixed orientation marriages. And that's something that he absolutely never confronts. He never talks about that. He just says, I'm happy. This is working for me. And the implication is that it can work for you. He never grapples with the issues that mixed orientation marriages have. He just glosses over it. And um, I don't know, it's just I don't think that that's the best approach when it comes to advocating for um, a position that he is. Any, any other thoughts on this last uh, section? We got a couple more sections to get through. Any others? Okay, uh, I'll just cut this part out too. Okay, so the, the next section I want to, he says, I, uh, the next section I want to cover, quote, I recognize how poorly sexual minorities have historically been treated by many within our society, including by many religious people, and I very much sympathize with the desire to humanize people with sexual preferences which do not fit within traditional paradigms. After all, I am one of them. Rooted in this understanding of seeking to humanize the marginalized, some argue that the LGBTQ movement is not inherently political. Uh, it just, I just, I find that section to be very ironic because he says that the, you know, people have been poorly treated, uh, sexual minorities have been poorly treated. Well, I mean, like by the church and like by the church leaders. I mean, the irony here is really incredible. He doesn't seem to see it. That was my thought too. He's not at all, it seems, aware of the organization that he's trying to ally himself with. And I think anybody looking at it, even superficially, would say, but you know, there's a lot of examples and a lot of policies and a lot of procedures and things throughout the decades that you can point to that will say, nope, I don't know if you know exactly what you're a part of. Maybe you're not aware. Maybe you're not. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a really, really something. Um, a couple of other uh, statements I want to highlight. At the end of the day, the idea that all sexual proclivities are created morally equal is an inherently political idea. And I just I take great issue that because uh, people's sexual pr proclivities, they predate politics by hundreds of thousands of years. I mean, before there was politics, there was sex on this planet. You know what I mean? Right. But, uh, yeah. So he, he wants to politicize, in my opinion. He, he's literally saying, you know, a person's uh, sexual identity is, uh, is is inherently political. I just reject that concept wholly. Um, any thoughts on that one, Alana? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't think your political anything has anything to do with you, who you're attracted to. You're you're born that way. You're attracted to who you're attracted to, regardless of which political system you're born into. Uh, and and even even when you're born as the king and you're forced to marry somebody uh, for political reasons, they all end up falling in love with somebody else that's yeah. not the one they were forced to to, to love. So uh, I think that's just a ridiculous uh, statement. Yeah, I find it also interesting that he uses the term sexual proclivities. That seems like an awfully odd way of, of speaking. It seems like the Deseret News editorial board went through this particular article with a fine tooth comb because that seems very inauthentic to me. That's just me. I, I don't know. I could be it, wrong it seems about that. kind of insulting, right? You and your proclivities. Yeah, not your identity, but just some kind of proclivity. No, it's who we are. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier in the opening, guys, that you're planning on going to the Gay Pride Parade this uh, this week, and Sky addresses that. In fact, he addresses you directly in this next section about uh, well-meaning Latter-day Saints who go to these type of events. And he said, quote, many good and well-meaning religious people use pride celebrations as a way to express love to LGBTQ people. And it's an understandable conclusion to come to, given God's commandments to love our neighbors, end quote. But um, guess what? It really, according to him, gay pride celebrations, those are bad. I mean, that's, it's not something that you should be a part of, according to him. Yeah, it's a fine line that you walk, I think, when you're an active member. I remember seeing a post once about every time you like someone's, you know, LGBTQ friendly post, you know, you're promoting it. Don't even like a post. You know, you may be well-meaning. You may think you're just liking to show friendship, but you can't because you're expressing a political agenda. So there's definitely that point of view. But I'm sorry, there are people in the community that are hurting. There are people that are disenfranchised. There are people that need to know that they're loved. And most of us are not going to stop doing that at all, ever. Nothing could make us. I also go to my nieces and nephews' mission farewells as well, uh, even though I'm not a member anymore. I, I, I don't see how going to a, an activity that supports somebody is uh, harmful in any way when you try to support and love someone. Yeah, don't forget that this article came out the day before Gay Pride Month. Yeah. Okay, th this is the mm -hmm. church's response to Gay Pride Month is don't go to Gay Pride celebrations. You are not supposed to support these people. And it really goes back to like what President Oak said. Don't expect to be a lengthy house guest. Don't expect us to take you out to dinner. Don't expect us to um, imply in any way that we are supporting anything about who you are or what you do. And that's the Deseret News uh, getting all involved with that. And it just it's very ironic to me because BYU this last year approved the first ever of uh, LGBTQ approved LGBTQ demonstration. So uh, Mr. Sorensen in his article is arguing against these type of uh, demonstrations and activities, but the church has approved those at BYU before. So that's why I, I don't understand why the Deseret News seems to be contradicting what BYU has already approved. This article is incredibly muddled. Well, and there's so many, like you said, confusing messages. Think back a few years ago where the honor code was subtly changed. And many people thought, oh, my goodness, I can now be more open about my, my same-sex relationships. You had pictures of people kissing in front of the honor code office a week or so later. Oh, no, no, you misunderstood. The messages are all over the place from all the different sources, sometimes the same source. How does anyone know what to do or what to think? It's extremely confusing, and it leaves you just sort of very, um, it's very disconcerting. Yeah, um, there's been a lot of social media response to this particular article. It's really gone viral. I just want to pull up a couple of tweets. Landon, I'm going to get your thoughts on this first one here. This is from the Book of Evan, who I think has a great Twitter account, has a lot of good takes. And he says, why does being gay give you special permission or authority to advocate against gays? I, I don't care what sexual orientation you are. Rights are rights. So 
what does him being gay have anything to do with him advocating against gay rights? How, how does that help? I, I absolutely agree with that. Uh, <laughs> you, you, just because you, you're one group doesn't allow you to discriminate against your same group. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, if, if a black person discriminated against a black person, that would still be discrimination. Uh, so it's, it's the same thing here. Uh, discrimination is discrimination. Yeah, yeah. Here's another take, Rebecca, which has been pretty controversial, and I want to I want to get your thoughts on this. Is this a cheap shot, or do you think it's okay here? The cultural hall here at, at underscore clutch. Um, he says LGBTQ Mormons don't do this to yourselves. Don't be sky, and it shows sky. He's painted himself into a corner here, where he says the church loves the gays. I don't like women, but I married one. Uh, he normalizes uh, gay hating and mixed orientation marriage rocks, and the sky's the limit. Is this a cheap shot here, or is this a uh, uh, par for the course? What What are your thoughts on this uh, controversial tweet? Yeah, I, I don't think they're being snarky in that. I think they're pointing out some realities that he may face. I mean, he does have these points of view about the church, but that stance could change any minute. We have no idea. Um, his situation could change. So when you're that openly vocal about things, you don't leave yourself any room for anything else. So I understand what they're trying to say there, and I don't think they're being facetious or snarky. I think they're just saying, look, you have not left any wiggle room for anything at all. And all of these things can change or be looked at in a different way at any given time. So he might be in trouble in that way, I think is what they're trying to point out. Yeah, there's a couple of other uh, social media takes that I want to get into. And this is from uh, the Thoughtful Faith here. He always has the most polarizing reactions, but I think it represents a significant segment of Latter-day Saints who he's, who's, he's very popular. And he said, are you really marginalized when there's an entire month celebrating you and people get fired if they don't affirm you? Hmm. I think he's really missing the point. Yeah, just because you have a month doesn't mean that you're not marginalized. What about the rest of the year? You know what I mean? Yeah. That was facetious and snarky. That's what I mean by being facetious and snarky. That was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the other thing that people are doing, and this is also trending on social media, is, uh, you know, uh, Latter-day Saints in particular, they say, well, it's Gay Pride Month, so how should we celebrate? And you're seeing this as a trend here. Uh, and this was from April Wilde to Spain. She hung this up. We heard that June was the month to hang up our flag celebrating our personal beliefs about gender, sexuality, and identity. So we hung ours up. And a couple of uh, faithful Latter-day Saints here hung up a fa the, the family, a proclamation to the world. So they're trying to combat uh, Gay Pride Month with uh, the family proclamation. What do you think, Landon? Uh, how do you think that's going to be received? Well, I say great for them. Uh, I'm all for anyone being able to say what they want about their beliefs. Uh, so if that's how they want to, but then at the same time, they've got to respect uh, the others who are hanging up the other flag. It's, uh, you know, it's a free country. It's what's great about America. The problem I have with that is that when I hang up my pride flag or I have a giant pride umbrella, I'm not telling heterosexual couples to stop being, you know, I'm not putting them down in any way. When you put that proclamation up, there may be a hidden agenda. There may be a message there um, that can be hurtful. Yeah, Sky, um, he tweeted out this, you know, he was tweeting all week long and he's really been active. And I think a lot of it is the fact that his book is being released. I think that this is all in, in preparation for that. Um, it's hard not to see a correlation between the two. But he tweeted out that he says, I do believe that the best case scenario for anyone is embracing the restored gospel. But I've never claimed a mixed orientation marriage is for everyone. And he wrote in the article, I realize my path isn't for everyone. Does that, uh, does that solve things? Does that help things? What do you think? I don't think it does at all because it's in the Deseret News. He's an active Latter-day Saint. It's the same as Christopherson. I, can't, I get the mixed up, the brother and the, the apostle, right? Who also wrote a book. And, and it just, you may not think that you're a poster child, but you are a poster child. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's the thing. Sky says that mixed, mixed orientation marriages isn't for everyone. And that's the understatement of the year. And that problem is we know gay conversion therapy, that doesn't work. And same-sex marriage triggers a membership council and sex outside of marriage means no temple recommends. So we're left again. We keep coming back to this with either a mixed orientation marriage, which has incredibly poor outcomes or lifelong cel uh, celibacy, both of which have very poor psychological long-term outcomes for the people who are involved. That's why we had the tweet where he was painting himself into a corner because we keep visiting this corner and um, this article does nothing to help us get out of the corner. Well, he, he gave a path to no one else. Uh, you know, he, he said, this is a path for me, but there, there's no path for anyone else uh, who is in the same boat as him for the you know, church's teachings. Uh, Rebecca, we talked in, and you'd mentioned, you know, and I don't want to steal your thunder, but you'd mentioned, you know, would any uh, acting member of the Quorum of the Twelve recommend a mixed orientation marriage for their child? Do mm -hmm. they think that that would be successful? And I thought that was brilliant because uh, I, I don't think they would yet, you know, they'll put it in the Deseret News as if it, it might be an option. That's an absolutely fantastic point. And, and Sky here, he, he runs a, a YouTube channel here that's called Sit Down with Sky. And he has a number of uh, gay, uh, you know, uh, Latter-day Saint and gay interactions on here. And in one of them, he argues that uh, LGBTQ suicide and how the gospel helps. He's arguing that uh, the gospel helps LGBTQ persons, especially teens, avoid suicide. And that seems to be an incredible claim, considering the fact that the CDC um, says that in the state of Utah, uh, teen suicide rates are already higher than much, much higher than the national average, and especially for LGBTQ persons. It seems like I know you can't uh, prove a causation in between uh, being a member of the church and suicide, but there is a significant correlation be between being um, in Utah, being gay and having a higher rate of suicide. It, it seems like from an objective perspective that one would say that it does not help. In fact, it does the opposite. Yeah, I 100% agree. Uh, I think there's, you, you know, you can't point to the data, but common sense, uh, when you see this, uh, you see a high percentage of, of teen suicide is is LBGTQ uh, related. Uh, and it's tough in Utah, especially. There really is no acceptance uh, in but a few places. Yeah. And Skylar, he went on the Midnight Mormons uh, for a live stream. In fact, just last night, he was on there with Cardinal Ellis. And I was actually in the live stream and I tried to get my question to him. The question that I wanted to ask Skylar was, do you want Agrafel and Hodges to be overthrown? Because that's really what the thrust of his article says is that uh, he's advocating for traditional marriage. So do you want that overthrown? That's the question that I have for him. Unfortunately, Cardin never asked him that question, you know, um, the biggest takeaway from this live stream with the Midnight Mormons, I can sum up the entire episode here that uh, Skylar was on. Skylar in the episode says that he is really, really, really happy, and all the haters out there don't know his heart. Um, and that's basically the sum up of an hour. Um, uh, I can save you, I guess, from watching it. But the, here's the thing about that. The big thing is here is not what is good for one person as a, as a whole. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy for Skylar. I, I, I am tickled pink. I'm glad that he's finding happiness in his life. I don't doubt him for a moment. I hope the, you know, wish the very best for his children, for his family, for his marriage. It, the question here is not what's best for him. It's what's best for society as a whole. There's always exceptions to any paradigm. You know, one could find, um, you know, great happiness. Someone could find great happiness in, in a situation in which the rest of us would be considered very abusive. And likewise, some people can be um, feel like they're harmed in, a, in what a lot of people might consider to be a very stable environment. There's always exceptions to the, to the rule. It's what is good for society. Our mixed orientation marriages and, and or lifelong celibacy 
is that a healthy uh, is that a healthy paradigm? And that's really what the core of the entire article is all about. Um, what, uh, we're, we're almost wrapping this one up here, Landon. What, what do you think? I, I think it's great that uh, we don't have to do what he says. Uh, that people have a right to, and, and they can get married and they can do it the way they want. And this is one man's opinion. And that's really all it is, is one man's opinion. And great that it's working for him. Uh, I think everyone should do what works for them to make them happy in their lives. Yeah. Any, any closing any closing thoughts on this one, uh, uh, Rebecca? Well, he is one man, but it seems like he has the weight and the power of a certain religious organization behind him. So the message may be misunderstood or not that this is how the church feels and that people need to think, well, maybe this could work for me or maybe this could work for my child. So it's a little naive for him to think he's just putting it out there because he definitely um, talks a lot about his religion and its role in his life. So people will know that's an important part and that he has their backing with, for what he's doing. You know, I'll just since Skyler spent so much time talking about the anecdotes in his life, I'll just give us one small anecdote. And that's my brother. Um, he, he came out as gay in Utah a long, long time ago. In fact, he was Utah's first openly uh, gay. Uh, he, he was one of he, he was a pioneer. I'll just put it that way. I don't want to get too much identifying information to myself. He struggled greatly with his relationship in the church or with the fact that he was gay. It caused a lifelong harm to himself. And um, that's something that Skyler, he really never grapples with. I do have two last videos to wrap this up here because we've been talking about ourselves and Skyler is obviously not an official representative of the church, but I do have two quick clips for us from leaders of the church that might help us. Uh, as we said, this article is incredibly muddled. It's incredibly contradictory and it's, um, it's very contradictory, as I said. So let's get a couple of leaders of the church in here who, who might be able to clear things up for you. I've got two last clips for you to play. So um, stay with me. And by the way, if you could drop a like, drop a subscription, we'd greatly appreciate that to both of our channels. Um, let's play this for you and see if it helps. No homosexual members of the church. No, we are not defined by sexual attraction. We're not defined by sexual behavior. We are sons and daughters of God. And all of us have different challenges in the flesh. There are many different types of challenges. Would it be a challenge? to be very beautiful or very handsome, and in the world in which we live, never develop deep character because we're able to open doors and have success just because of our physical appearance. And we become shallow and superficial in many aspects of our life. That can be a challenge in the flesh. Some people have physical limitations. They may be born with a body that is not fully functional, or we may have an inclination to be attracted to those of the same sex. Through the atonement of Jesus Christ, we are blessed with moral agency. Agency is the capacity to act and not simply be acted upon. This is a bottle of water. It's an object. It has no capacity to act. It is an object. It can only be acted upon. So this object moves if I cause it to move or if some other force causes it to move. My wife is afraid I'm going to hit her with a bottle of water. You and I are not objects. We are agents, blessed with agency because of the atonement of Christ. And with that agency, we are to act and not be acted upon. That agency gives us the capacity to determine how we will respond to the variety of challenges we experience in the flesh. So you choose, you act in accordance with the teachings of Christ. Well, simply being attracted to someone of the same gender is not a sin. There are many members of the church who may have some manifestation of that attraction. They honor their covenants, they keep the commandments, they are worthy, so they can receive the blessings of the temple, and they can serve in the church. It is when we act on the inclination or the attraction, that's when it becomes a sin. So, I see. The, way I, the reason I began my answer as I did, that in this question, the word homosexual was used to describe or label a member of the church. It's an inaccurate label. We are sons and daughters of God, and we determine how we respond to the variety of challenges that we face in mortality. Uh, th uh, that was David Bednar. Sorry about the choppiness because it was through an interpreter. Rebecca, does that help clarify things? 
No, I was going to say that's a word salad. That gave me a headache. I, I know that he brought, held up a water bottle. I don't know, years later, of course, and we'd learn that you need to crush the water bottle. <laughs> I don't know. And when he goes, my wife's afraid I'm going to hit her. I don't know. It looked a little. Anyway, no, it was, it was just a circular word salad, um, basically saying that all you are, your first identifier is a child of God. Everything else is just something maybe you made up or you misunderstood, but you're just a child of God and everything else, whatever. So. Yeah, Landon, he, David Bednar in there says there's no homosexual members of the church, but Sky Skyler in his article, he said he's a homosexual member of the church. I'm confused. Can you help us out? Uh, no. <laughs> I don't think I can with that explanation. It it, it just, uh, it's mind-boggling because he basically said if, if you're born, uh, it's not a sin until you act on it. Uh, so he basically said if you're homosexual, uh, then you're you're not free to act on your impulses. However, if you're a heterosexual, you're expected to act on your impulses, just like he and his wife uh, have there. So uh, if there's no labels, uh, then how, how can you say one person can't act on it? They should act just like he acts on his um, desires. So it, it seemed like he was defining uh, people who could act one way and people who couldn't act another way. Uh, okay, so what I'm getting from both of you is that that didn't exactly help. But, you know, David Bednar, he's only an apostle. So uh, I, my last clip for you here, again, I'm a big clip guy here. I, I like watching all these old church uh, movies. I, I have the Mormon Movie Review channel, which I haven't uploaded in a little while, but I like watching old church ones. Let's, let's, up, let's take it up a notch because our last clip here with President Hinckley is going to weigh in once again. President Hinckley, he is the answer man, and he's going to clear it all up. I know it's been very confusing with the article with David Bednar. There are no homosexual members. There, there are. It's very confusing. Don't worry, guys. I've got this last clip for you. President Hinckley is going to bring this one home for us, and he's going to help us understand how it all works. As the mores have changed, for example, I know that the church is, is opposed to gay marriage. Yeah. Do you have an alternative? Do you like the idea of civil unions? Well, we're not anti-gay. We are pro-family. Let me put it that way. And we love these people and try to work with them, help them. We know they have a problem. We want to help them solve that problem. A problem they caused or they were born with? I, I don't know. I'm not an expert on these things. I don't pretend to be an expert on these things. The fact is they have a problem. Do you favor uh, some sort of state union? Well, we want to be very careful about that because that whatever may lead to gay marriage, we're not in favor of. We, many people don't get married. Goodness sakes alive, you know that. We have many people who have to discipline themselves. If they transgress, they become subject to the discipline of the church. But we try in every way that we know how to help them, to assist them, to bless their lives. Okay, Rebecca, does that clear it all up? Now we've got the president of the church, who's the president of the church at the time. He's got it cleared up for us, right? Oh, it's more confusing than ever. And and what year was this? Did 19, say, I think it was 1996 or 7. Yeah, boy, if he could see uh, what's happening now, it's a completely different landscape, isn't it? So, again, that's why Skyler is pictured painted into a corner, because I don't think he knows exactly what he is a part of. And there's a lot of mixed messages there that it's just not, I don't know. That was more confusing than ever. <laughs> yeah, none of these uh, leaders. And what do you think, Landon, did the President Hinckley, did he clear it all up for us? We're not anti-gay. We're pro-family. Evidently, if you're gay, you can't be part of a family. Oh, no, not at all. Yeah. I mean, the fundamental question for me, and President Hinckley didn't help clear anything up, and neither did David Bednar, is that the messaging has been incredibly muddled. And as we've seen from this article, it still is.
It still is. You shouldn't go to gay pride uh, uh, demonstrations, but then BYU approves it. I'm in a mixed orientation marriage, which the church does not advocate for. This is the entire thrust of the article. Why is the Deseret News releasing an editorial in which a member at least partially advocates for a position that the church does not? The messaging, once again, is off on this issue. And um, I, I just, I, I'd rather not see any more articles like this because it did, uh, in my opinion, more harm than good. Um, yeah, folks, uh, did we ruminate properly on the Great and Spacious Beehive for this week? I, I think we did. I thought it was fascinating that the church that's not political gets to do editorials on a newspaper they own. <laughs> wow, you said it, Landon. There it is. That's it. Uh, I guess the secret is that they don't endorse any political party or any political candidate. There that you. would bring the tax exempt status into question. I think they are trying to walk a fine line. Of course, they're trotting out editorials from members. This is what the church loves to do. They bring out the members that put into the mouths of the members what they would love to have the senior church brethren have uh, out of their mouths, but they know that they really can't do it that way because the form the 15 need to stay above these small squabbles. And we've seen from President Hinckley and President and Elder Bednar that when they're asked directly and they have to answer these questions, that they really, they don't do a great job of explaining things and they understand that. Okay, guys. Hey, thanks so much for, uh, you know, uh, being here. We're going to release, uh, we release these episodes every Sunday li uh, live at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you can be in the live chat, we'd appreciate it. And uh, shout out to Weird Alma on Bandcamp.com for this episode's music. And thanks, uh, thanks for being here. Remember, remember, no one hallowed hand can stop this podcast from progressing. So long. When it comes to nicknames of the church, such as LDS Church, the Mormon Church, to remove the Lord's name from the Lord's Church is a major victory for Satan. 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 Hey there, brothers and sisters. Thanks for listening to the Mormon News Roundup. And if you are enjoying this show, please consider making a donation. Patreon makes an important contribution to helping us ruminate on the great and spacious beehive here. So thanks so much to everyone for, for supporting us on Patreon.com.